This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And you can also shoot us a text directly into the studio at 870-870. It comes in here real time, and we would love to hear from you on this Father's Day weekend. Are you going to be spending time with Dad? What was Dad's favorite fish or game dish and are you fixing it this weekend are you taking him fishing what is the best father's day fishing gift you ever received or ever gave and maybe we'll help some of our listeners out who may be stumped and the clock is the time is running out here the clock is ticking on getting dad a gift um i tell you what i've got a few items myself that uh you can give a gift for dad i don't think any sportsman can ever have enough of these, and I'll get that for you. Plus, we're going to uh, talk about the red snapper quota. We've got some figures through last week, let you know where we stand on that. If you were not up dark and early with us for the five-o'clock show that we just ended, uh, we'll kind of recap some of the fishing reports for you on this really good-looking weekend. Pop-up storms around, causing a few problems, but otherwise, good tide range. Light winds, going to let the offshore fishermen probably get out and do their thing on the snapper. Got some marlin tournaments going on and lots of action going on all across the coast. We'll talk more about that. Also tell you about the Bayou Wild TV. I'll preview the show that's airing. I'd also like to get some feedback on this show that this, there's a program called CBS New Originals. The feature I understand on called Trophy Hunting, Killing, or Conservation. And I am told it was very, as happened so rarely, was very well done and was very honest and truthful about trophy hunting, big game, in, in the continent of Africa. And I think that message doesn't get out to enough people uh, because, let's face it, there's not game hunting. Those who do understand it. And those who do not, a lot of times think it's nothing but just going out there and the useless killing of animals. But what they don't realize is that without those hunts and the money that's generated, a lot of those animals would be extinct due to poaching and loss of habitat. Anyway, if you saw that, I'll have to look at uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, also, lots of other things going on, too. Uh, we've got some recipes for frogs and shrimp to tell you about. Those are both in season right now. And, uh, you know, we'll get to your calls and texts regarding that. Also, Repticon taking place in Mobile. If you're a reptile enthusiast, I'll be over there tomorrow. But this hour, we're going to spend some time talking about an organization called Hunters for the Hungry. Uh, they're making an appeal to sportsmen that you can help contribute, if even in a couple of ways, monetarily. Certainly, that always helps. But also, if you want to give what is, I consider, priceless. You cannot buy wild game, and you can't sell it. It's illegal. Uh, some species of fish are the same way. And when you are generously donating that to the needy, I don't think there's any greater gift than you can give. I mean, that is the most basic, one of the most basic needs of mankind is food, clothing, shelter, water. And by providing that, you're doing uh, doing basically the Lord's work. And we're going to talk to a couple of special guests. A little bit later on, Jay Vice is going to join me. i got to tell you, I really like this guy, Jay Vice. He and I go back a long time. You know, I'll be celebrating on July 27th. 
the 30th anniversary of my network show that started from 5 to 7 on Saturday mornings began uh, way back when in a little Slidell station, grew into Baton Rouge, picked up affiliates all across the, the state, and even got out-of-state affiliates in Mobile, Alabama, carrying the program now. And I met Jay when I was doing the show flagship from a station in Baton Rouge. Jay was a teenage disc jockey, a country western DJ, and he was pretty good at it, too, despite what people think. And, uh, you know, he stayed in radio for a while, and then he decided he was going to get uh, a law degree. And he actually became a lawyer. And then he ended up, our paths crossed again at WWL Radio, where Jay became a news reporter and a doggone good one. And then Jay left the news business and the radio business and the law business to become the director of marketing and communications for the Second Harvest Food Bank. And I'm telling you, a guy with a lot of talent and a lot of opportunity to choose that as his career says a lot about the guy. And we're going to talk to him about Second Harvest Food Bank and how they tied in with Hunters for the Hungry. Speaking of Hunters for the Hungry, have a new executive director. She joins us now, Julie Grunwald. You may recall her name from her CCA days. Julie, thanks for joining us this Saturday morning. We appreciate it. Good morning, Don. How you doing? I'm doing good. Boy, I got some really good weather. The fishing reports were good, despite all this river water problems we're having. And uh, that's really some good news. And I know from your CCA days, you've probably been talking to a lot of the fishermen. And and congratulations on your new position with Hunters for the Hungry. I think you're going to do a great job and take it to the next level. If you would, tell people a little bit about your days at CCA. What you do when you worked on the staff there? Sure. I was the uh, assistant director and also the director of outreach for CCA for six years and just kind of helped plan all their uh, banquets across the state and state conventions and fishing rodeos and participated, of course, with the star tournament, as the whole staff does. And um, it was great. I met a lot of people, a lot of great people, outdoorsmen throughout the state and uh, still keep in touch with uh, certainly most of them, and made some really good friends there. So it's, it's easy to do with the outdoorsmen of Louisiana, you know. <laughs> You're exactly right, Julie. I mean, I've, I've been so lucky to be able to involve with people who hunt and fish as part of my career and part of what I do as a hobby and uh, just some of the greatest people you'll ever want to meet and some of the most generous. And I, I know you're aware of that, and certainly Hunters for the Hungry relies on that generosity. Tell us about the, the, the brief history of Hunters for the Hungry, the program. What is it all about? Sure. So it was started in 1994 by uh, Richard and Judy Campbell, who live in St. Francisville. And Richard recently passed away, but Judy is the chairman of our board. And, you know, basically they were coming home from a hunting trip um, and heard something about it in another state. And they said, we have got to bring this to Louisiana. I mean, we are just, it's the perfect state. We have ample resources. Uh, People are so generous uh, in our state. And they wanted to make sure that we, you know, kind of had that program along the program is in a lot of other states now. We are not affiliated with them. Everybody's kind of independent, but it's in about 32 states um, across the country. So they brought it to Louisiana in 1994, and it has just grown exponentially um, since then. And a couple years ago, um, we were blessed to have a bill passed to where everybody who signs up for a hunting or fishing license in Louisiana uh, gets asked the question, do you want to donate to Hunters for the Hungry? So We've seen that, you know, sportsmen out there have been generous in donating a dollar or two, um, up to, you know, five or ten, however much you want, whenever they are, you know, clicking those buttons to uh, renew their fishing license or their hunting license. And 
basically what that money is earmarked for is we have processors throughout the state that we partner with that you can go and donate a deer to one of our partner processors you can keep the backstrap or if you just you know want a portion of it and we'll pay the processing cost um the processor will do his deal and process all the meat and then at the end of hunt season they call us and say okay we have you know all this meat ready and we send the food bank truck over and they pick up the you know the, the protein from those processors so that money that that license money that you're donating is being used specifically for processing uh cost so it's a great way to provide high quality protein to you know these food banks and their the agencies that they support that they otherwise just don't have access to and the food banks are begging us for it because their agencies just absolutely love it Hunters for the Hungry is probably most well known for their Clean Out Your Freezer program. How does that work? So on September 15th of this year, um, we will have Clean Out Your Freezer Day. And basically, it's just a, right before the hunting season. And so anything that, um, you know, sportsmen are didn't thought they were going to cook or eat and they didn't, it's a way to kind of make room before you go into the next season and are bringing home more protein that you that you kill. So um, we have specific locations throughout the state, and you can visit our website, um, which is www.h4hla.org, and it'll have all the specific locations where you can just come and drop off uh, your the food that you'd like to donate. It just needs to be labeled and dated, and the food bank um, will take anything that's basically less than a year old. So we've had great success um, in in collecting, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of protein over the years. Uh, It's everywhere from Lake Charles to Lafayette to North Louisiana, uh, certainly Baton Rouge. And then we're going to be expanding into hopefully the New Orleans and North Shore and Slidell and and South as well. So you can donate anything from uh, meat to fish to I mean, we've had people donate ribs and brisket and just anything that you want to. You thought you were going to cook, and you're not going to, and you want to <laughs> give it to uh, give it to the homeless. Now that website is h the number four h dot org. Is that how they can find it? It's h four h l a dot org. L a dot org. Very good. Uh, yeah, and now that uh, the fishing has gotten into it, I guess the, the name becomes a little bit deceiving, Hunters for the Hungry, but it's also Fishermen for the Hungry, although a lot of fishermen and hunters are crossover. They do both. Contacts and your background with CCA and your community tournaments that are good uh, places to donate, that's even better. Tell people if they are rodeo directors or they work with a rodeo or they fish in one and they want to – uh, bring this program to that rodeo. How do they get that set up where someone can be out there to collect it, or do they collect it, and do they bring it to you, or could it be either or? It can be either or. I mean, basically just get in touch with me, and we can work out the logistics. We've got some um, some fish processors, actually, that are going down and at the docks of some of these major tournaments, and they're cleaning the fish for us and packaging it up, and then we have uh, Second Harvest in New Orleans uh, now due to proximity is – been the recipient of a lot of this fresh fish and just in the past couple weeks we've been able to provide you know 250 pounds of protein um, to uh, New Orleans Mission which is one of the second harvest agencies that they service and 
they are just ecstatic about it. They're sending us pictures of uh, them frying the fish and feeding, you know, their people. And it's just a really great uh, way to, you know, just get more protein to these food banks and agencies. And with fishing, you know, a little bit more year round, not just during the hunting season. So it's been phenomenal. We're talking with Julie Grunewald, the new director for Hunters for the Hungry, about how you can get involved even making a donation when you purchase your hunting or fishing license, or if you want to clean out the freezer, so to speak, make room for fall fishing and fall and winter hunting. Uh, you can make donations there by delivering it. I got a listener that just texted me, Julie, wanted to know what kind of, not what species, but what kind of condition should the fish be in? Does it have to be filleted, clean, scaled, gutted, whole? What what will you accept? So the food bank would obviously like for it to be um, filleted and packaged correctly, just easier for them to, you know, kind of prepare it quicker. Um, I don't think that they would necessarily accept a whole fish, but we can certainly ask. Sometimes they're not picky, and they have people on their staff that they can uh, take care of that. So just they can reach out to me, and, and I can ask the questions, and I'm certain that they won't turn it down. And so on the big day is going to be September the 15th. That's the day that people need to mark their calendar to where they can participate. Uh, have the locations been announced yet? Are you still working on that? And if you are, just keep us up to date on it. We'll get that information out. Absolutely. We're still working on uh, on the locations and, and kind of getting all that nailed down. But we'll make sure um, to let you know. And then we also have a Facebook and Instagram, so we'll be posting uh, that sort of information on our social media outlets as well. Very good. Anything else you want to tell us before we let you go? No, I just, you know, encourage everyone to please renew your fishing license before the end of the year. And I mean, the end of the month, excuse me. And while you're doing it, if you could spare an extra dollar or two um, to click that button and, and give us a few bucks, it really will go a long way. Very good. Thank you so much, Julie. And congratulations on your new position. And we'll be talking to you in the future for sure. Sounds great, Don. Thank you. All righty. Julie Grunewald with the Hunters for the Hungry. Again, if you're renewing your license, and don't forget, you got to get it done. June 30th, all licenses expire, unless you got a lifetime license. Uh, they're asking you there will be a box that you can check off to make a contribution, a donation to Hunters for the Hungry, and then mark down uh, September 15th. If you want to get your rodeo or tournament or your hunting club involved, check them out on the website or Facebook. LA.org. All right, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Jay Barson. Jay works in conjunction with Hunters for the Hungry with the Second Harvest Food Bank. He'll tell us about the organization and what they do and how they appreciate getting in some fish and game uh, for their their food banks and for their clients. We're going to, have to talk to Jay. If you got a question, 260-368 or text us at 7870. We're back right after this. And welcome back into More Outdoors. Glad to have you with us on this Saturday morning. We're talking about Hunters for the Hungry. We just talked with Julie Grunwald. She is asking for sportsmen. When you renew the license, you got to do it this month. They all expire June 30th. And when you get your new license, you will be asked if you'd like to make a contribution, a donation to the organization called Hunters for the Hungry. Uh, they provide uh, sorely needed wild game, meat, and also uh, fish now to these food banks and 
Um, those dollars go a long way in paying processes. And she brought up a very good point. If you happen to get a deer, and let's say you've got plenty of venison in the freezer, or maybe you don't like using the rib meat or the neck meat, uh, and some people, you know, they make a lot of chili and jerky out of it. And if you've got enough and you want to donate it, if you bring it to one of their deer processes that cooperate with them, what they will do is they will actually pay for the processing and give you the back strap and the tenderloin, which is the best parts of it, and then the rest of it is donated to the Hunters for the Hungry and ends up in food banks. So what a great program. And one of the things I didn't mention to Julie, but if you are a hunter, you know that there's been a lot of pressure from, from anti-hunters. Uh, and, and I've been dealing with this for the last 30 years, and I've found that the public, I think we've done a good job in educating that public that hunting is a good, worthwhile opportunity and, and practice, that uh, it provides food for people, it provides uh, money that is needed to preserve habitat, it actually results in the conservation of wildlife, uh, well, a lot of people think that it's a detriment to it, and some organizations would lead you to believe that. But this program, Hunters for the Hungry, really raises the awareness of, of the importance and the generosity of hunters. I think people who, who don't hunt have never hunted, and I've got nothing against that. Believe me, if everybody in this state in this state and country hunted, we wouldn't have enough places to go, and the limits would be almost nothing. So I'm not trying to get people, everybody to pass a law to hunt. But uh, the people who don't, I think when they see that hunters are generous in the, the game that they are, killing is going to a very good use. I think they uh, they look up to hunters a little bit better. It just raises the level of, of, of the integrity of a hunter a, a couple of notches when they see what they do with their, their game and fish, now that the fish are being used, too. All right, let's see. we got Jay Weiss joining us, the Director of Marketing and Communications for Second Harvest Food Bank. Hey, Jay, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Jay, you there? We don't have Jay? Well, maybe not. <laughs> All right, we'll try to get a hold of Jay Weiss. Uh, we're looking for Jay, Director of Marketing and Communications for Second Harvest Food Bank. They work in conjunction with the uh, the Hunters for the Hungry. And uh, I've, I've, I've worked a couple of those uh, donation booths. And, you know, you set up and you got the ice chest. And people come out and bring it out. But that clean out the freezer day is a great opportunity. Now, it's usually been stretched out over a few weekends, and it covers uh, a lot of areas where, Mostly it's been done in the Lafayette, Metro, Baton Rouge areas, but now they're going to really step it up and try to get some collection points going in the city of New Orleans. And I think that's uh, needed very badly. There's a lot of people in New Orleans that, that have an overabundance. They catch more fish than they need. They they, they actually pass up uh, taking deer, and you know it's a good management practice to keep the, the balance of does and bucks in, in check. And if you get too many does on your property, it can actually adversely affect your deer population and also the quality of your deer. And it's been proven that it's good management to take a specific number of does out of there. And a lot of people just don't do it because they don't have need for it. Uh, this would be a motivation for them to practice good, sound deer management and make good use out of the meat when they turn it over to a deer processor and it also gets sent over to one of these food banks. All right, we're going to take a break. We come back, and hopefully we'll get a hold of Jay before the program ends. If not, i got a lot of other stuff to talk about. Love to hear some memories from your dad. Did he take you fishing? Was he the one that got you started? What was dad's favorite uh, game or fish dish, and um, what's an idea for a gift? In fact, I've got a few gifts, ideas, and 
the reason why I'm saying these are always appropriate, because these items, I don't think any fisherman or hunter can ever have enough of these. And I'll tell you what they are when we come back right after this timeout. And welcome back into More Outdoors. If you'd like to give us a call and chat with us on this Father's Day weekend, it's 504-260-6368. We'll also take questions, comments of any type. Also got some emails. If you want to email me, the best thing to do is go to my website, dontheoutdoorsguy.com, and shoot me an email there, and we address those. And uh, for the, I'll try to answer all of them I can personally. But if there's some that are appropriate for the larger audience and it might be of interest or need for someone else, I'll bring up their emails and and cover those and answer them on the air. Uh, Father's Day gifts. You might be stuck. And we talked with some of our field reporters this morning, and the topic of my fishing game report on WWL television and WBRZ this week was take dad fishing. Give him the gift of a fishing trip. Now, if you've got your own boat and, and equipment, well, that's easy enough to do. But if not, you can buy him a trip. And even if you do, if you want to get him a trip with a professional guide where everything is done, all the the fishing tackle, the bait, the gear is provided, the ice, they, these guys are on the water, some of them two to 300 days a year, the chances of catching fish with these guys are much, much better. And it's really a service. You can get it with lodging and meals. You can get it just a day trip. And the easiest thing to do is just buy a gift certificate. They'll send you a certificate or, you know, just make arrangements where when Dad is ready to go, and you get to go with him. You get to spend time together. You get to go fishing. And you come home with a lot of fish in most cases. So fishing trips uh, with a charter is a great gift idea. But I've got some other ones if you want to go on a little bit smaller level. Um, and, And I picked out three items because I don't think that if you're a hunter or fisherman, you can ever have enough of these. And the number one uh, gift idea that Dad can't get enough of, knives. Okay? Yeah, we've all got knives, but guess what? There are so many different types of knives and applications for knives. Um, and then you can, you know, take some with you, leave some at home, leave some at the camp, keep some in the in the gear bag. You can always use an extra knife. And whether it's a pocket knife, fillet knife, uh, electric knife, there's just all variations of sizes and blade types, uh, quality of knives, or maybe a sharpener, you know, to keep all those knives sharp. It's so important when you're cleaning fish, and especially when you're skinning deer, to use a sharp knife. Now, a lot of people say, well, a sharp knife, you slip, you cut yourself bad. Uh, the chances of getting hurt with a dull knife is a lot greater than it is with a sharp knife. You just got to be careful when you take your time when you're doing it. But Knives, uh, there's all different types of knives, and, and I'll tell you one that's that's an all-around knife, and it's it's an expression that people use when they say a Swiss Army knife. And one of my daughters gave me a Swiss Army knife. I bet you I've had that knife 15 years or longer. And you know the Swiss Army, it's got all the little you know nail clippers and uh, bottle openers and different attachments on it, and it, it's a multi-purpose knife, and I keep it in my pickup truck, and it's even got a screwdriver on it for emergencies, a, a little Swiss Army knife. It's an old thought, but it's it's a, a long-standing, very nice gift, but there's also a, a, just a wide variety. You go to any sporting goods store uh, or you go to a hardware store, there's knives of all type, and whether you want one for skinning deer, uh, for cleaning birds, for cleaning ducks, uh, for cleaning fish, whether it's a scaling knife or one that cuts through bone, uh, electric, standard, all types. Knife for Dad, that's a great uh, gift idea, and it's a nice keepsake, too. 
All right, another one, ice chest. Um, ice chest, you know, you think, well, I, I have an ice chest, but there's so many different types. Everything from a sm- small little six-pack cooler on up to a big 150 quart, or the big ones for the big offshore fish and, and, and big loads of fish and, and shrimp when you get, you know, buy large quantities of shrimp. It's always good to have different size ice chests. I think I tried to count them, and I haven't got an accurate count, but I think I have somewhere around eight or nine ice chests. And I've got everything from the big uh, Yetis that you bring offshore. You can fill with drinks for the whole boat. I've got the little small ones. I've got one that's uh, really neat. I use it a lot because it's, it's small and it fits in a lot of tight places. I've got one I've never used, and that is a, a metal Budweiser ice chest. Uh, how many of you remember metal ice chest? That's kind of a, a thing of the past. And this one was a commemorative. It's not that old, old like some of the original ones where it would be a, a, an antique. It's it's kind of a remake, but I've had it probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years and just never used it, but it's there. And then I've got, you know, ones that are kind of raggedy that I drag around, throw in the back of the truck, and put crawfish in them and, you know, wash the crawfish off in those ice chests. Then I've got some that I take when I know I'm going to have a certain size fillet to bring. Um, You know, just all kinds of brands and models and styles. And uh, anyway, ice chests, believe me, Dad will appreciate it. You can always use an extra ice chest around. Um, Another thing, and boy, this is one that (laughs) I am really guilty of, is hats. I have got so many hats. Uh, I've got a whole rack of hats atop the dresser. I've got hats here in the broadcast studio. I've got hats uh, in boxes in the closet uh, for every occasion, every style. I've got camo hunting hats. I've got uh, ball team hats. I've got fishing uh, product hats. I've got some uh, my own hats from the Outdoors uh, Radio Network hats. We've got Bayou Wild Television hats. Um, and there's different types where, you know, you wear a hat to one that stays cool and provides, you know, protection from some of the sun. Uh, then you've got the ones that you need to stay warm. I've got some of these old wool-type hats and uh, the ones with the long uh, straps that come down the side of your cheeks with orange when you go bird hunting and it's freezing. Uh, you know, and then you've got the duck hunting hats and all the different turkey hunting hats, just about a hat for everything. So you can never get enough hats, I think, because you never know which one. And, and you know what? Some of the, the my favorite ones, and some of these were given to me as gifts too, was the ones that have a, a logo of of your dog or you know little sayings on them and things like that. So anyway, those are three items that I think no sportsman can ever have too many of: knives, ice chests, and hats. So there's some some gift ideas. I'd like to hear some from you if you got some suggestions. We may have somebody who's kind of stumped right now. And if you would uh, bring up one that you gave or you got, that might be a great idea. We had Brendan Bayard, one of our field reporters earlier this morning, uh, asked him for a dad that kayaks, what would be a, a good gift. And he brought up a really good one, and that's those inflatable PFDs. You know, it's important to wear a a PFD, a personal flotation device. Uh, Some people call them the old name life jackets. But the older ones made out of K-Pak, you know, the orange ones with the thing on the back and the straps in the front, they're very bulky. They're hot in the summertime, and people don't want to wear them. 
But the new modern inflatables are just so light, and they just snap real quick, and they've got a little CO2 cartridge on them, and you pull a string, and it blows it up, and inflates it, and then you change the cartridges out, and it basically lasts forever. And for a kayaker, you know, you've got limited space and storage, and you really need to be wearing a PFD whenever you're in a kayak. It's not the law in a bay boat. Uh, I know... People are encouraged to wear them all the time because you never know what happens. But certainly when uh, the need arises and you feel like you need one, uh, that's a great item is an inflatable PFD or life jacket. That's a great gift. Another gift idea that came up, and if you're into spending about 180 bucks, a CETO membership. Uh, the way that works, CETO is a company. Uh, Christian Orfanello, his wife Colleen, operate the New Orleans uh I guess you'd say franchise for CETO, and they are like AAA, but they're on the water. And so if you get out there and you got engine problems, uh, maybe your, your battery ran dead, you don't have a spare battery, they'll come out there, bring a battery, jump start you, get you running, whatever it takes to get you running. You might run out of fuel. That happens. They'll bring fuel. If you're stuck on a mud flat, the tide ran out on you, you weren't expecting it. It's either hot and nightfall is coming. The mosquitoes are going to be there. Or it's wintertime. You were duck hunting. You got stuck on a low tide on a mud flat. It's temperatures are going to drop into the freezing temperatures. You call CETO, and they send them out to rescue you. It's just one call away. And I know a lot of people say, yeah, they sell it to you, but then they never show up. Let me tell you, I have talked to so many people and seen so many reviews of rescues that were made and people were so thankful that they had that policy. And if you're a CETO member, it's good on any boat you go on. You can use it. Uh, it's 179 bucks for a whole year. It can be renewed. That makes an ideal gift. So that's another one. Um, and if you've got an idea, you know, because it's hard to pick out rod, reel. You know, that's a great gift idea. But there's so many different styles and types out there. Which one would he prefer? Unless you really know or you check maybe with a friend and find out if there's something that you think that he's been wanting. Uh, here's uh, I've got a couple of uh, text messages coming. This one says, I have some friends who never heard of a jackknife. Is it a regional thing? I've only been here 40 years, but can't grew up calling them jackknives. <laughs> well, I've heard that term, and you don't hear it very often, but, yeah, jackknife, uh, you know, that's an old term, and, uh, it really hadn't been used much around Louisiana, you know. They just have other names for it, but certainly that's. Uh, uh, I don't think it's regional. I think that was probably all over the country. People call them jackknives. All right. Anyway, we got uh, that to talk about. It's Father's Day. What about favorite dish? What was Dad's favorite fish or game dish? And what was a a really good memory you had about fishing or hunting with your dad? You know, I'll tell you about my dad. He he took me fishing to hunt, but, you know, we had seven kids, and he worked hard all his life, and he had very limited time, but he, he took some time to, to go out hunting. And, you know, as hunters go, you wouldn't call him a great, great hunter. He, he I don't think he ever killed a deer in his life. Uh, I know he never shot a turkey in his life because he never hunted them. I'm not even sure if he ever shot a duck, but his thing was small game. He loved squirrel hunting and rabbit hunting and not rabbit hunting with dogs just jump shooting rabbits along with the squirrel and he'd take us kids out in the woods and turn us loose and 
you know, hunt squirrels and rabbits. That's kind of how we got our start. I think the first time I went, I was like nine years old, and I was immediately hooked on, on squirrel hunting, and it just led to all kinds of other stuff on top of that. Fisherman, uh, he wasn't a great fisherman, uh, didn't have money to buy a boat. Uh, sometimes we'd rent a skiff or something like that, or I had gotten a little flat boat when I when I made a teenage years, and uh, we kind of went fishing in that. But we would go out to camps, and we'd fish from the piers and, and stuff like that. But I, I tell you, the best memory I think I had of my dad was when uh, we would he, he finally uh, bought a camp, about a, actually a piece of property, five acres in Tangipahoe Parish, and back then it was it was pretty really rural back then, and I mean you could hunt on the property and all the property around it, and he ended up making a camp there. We got a trail, an old trailer, and put it out there, and everything we laughed because everything he did, no matter what it was he put up, was temporary. This is only temporary. The permanent's going to be coming. Well, the permanent never came and kind of stayed temporary for a lot of years, and we'd go over there on a weekend. Uh, he worked every Saturday. And we'd leave and get over there on Saturday nights, and we'd build a fire and, and sit around the fire listening to LSU on the radio. We didn't have any TV over there. And the next morning, we'd get up, and we'd go hunt squirrels and rabbits. And my uncle would go along, his brother, and he was a real character. Sometimes he would bring shells. Sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he wouldn't even have a gun. He wasn't what you'd call a serious squirrel hunter, but he loved to sit in the woods. He loved to go, and he was amazed that... that how good I got at squirrel hunting and how long I could sit in the woods, you know, and, and come back with squirrels. Anyway, we'd, we'd cook them out there and we'd tell stories, and that was probably some of the greatest memories of anything that I got to do with my dad. And that's the good thing about hunting and fishing. It really kind of crosses all generations. You know, whether you're young or old, you can get together and you've, you've got that in common, although there's a lot of other things that, you know, different generations don't or can't really do together, but that's certainly one that brings everybody together. All right, you got a favorite Father's Day story? Love to hear it. Tell us about your dad. Gift ideas, if you got a good one, love to hear it. We're going to be right back. When I come back, I got some information in from the Wildlife and Fisheries Department about the Red Snapper landings, and I'll explain to you where we stand right now on reaching the quota that when that quota is finally reached, it'll shut it down. We'll be back to talk about that. And a lot more other stuff. It's called More Outdoors, 504-260-6368 is our telephone number. If you care to text us, simply it's 870-870. comes right here to the studio. We'll be back right after this timeout. And welcome back in More Outdoors. Glad to have you with us. Phone line's open, 504-260-6368. We also have a text board at 870-870 asking you for some gift ideas, suggestions for Dad. What's the best one you ever got? Maybe the one you ever gave and give somebody a, a great idea. The, the clock is ticking on time to get that gift for Dad. I Getting back to that uh, the texter that asked about a jackknife, you know, that's a term they use when a uh, a tractor trailer it jackknifes and kind of jams in like a like a folding knife. That's another name for a jackknife. Or I guess in Louisiana we always call them pocket knives. But jackknife uh, is, is certainly a, a common term. But he said he's uh, he grew up calling them jackknives. Here's one that says uh, get dad a Leatherman, great for fishing and camping. Yeah, that's another great tool that you can use. Uh, another one too is a, a good quality pair of fishing pliers. You know, a lot of people don't buy those on their own that's always a good gift and it you know one size fits all i mean basically you can some of them will cut line 
remove hooks and you know, multi-purpose, but a, a Leatherman tool is great for fishing and campers. All right, um, red snapper. All right, here's how this works. It's pretty complicated, but we kind of keep on top of it. Uh, red snapper management, because of uh, La Creel, which is the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries uh, collection program to get data on how many fish are being caught in what period of time. Uh, with that, uh, there is an ROLP, which is a recreational offshore landing permit. You have to have that to fish offshore for any of the migratory species, including red snapper. It's issued free by the state. Go online and look under ROLP and just answer a few questions, and you can print one out, and, you, and you'll be legal. And that way uh, they contact people from time to time, and they get information about what they caught. And that's how they develop this this real-time data collection. And uh, the period through June 2nd, uh, through that period, we had caught 183,766 pounds of snapper in Louisiana. That's 23% of Louisiana's allocation. Uh, the total we're allowed is 816,439 pounds. When they estimate that that will be reached, and using this La Creole program is when they'll estimate that, that's when the season will be closed. Uh, the season, uh, if you were tuned in earlier, we were talking with Robbie Campo. Uh, there's been some snapper in pretty close waters. You can catch them in 40 feet of water because there's so many of them. They're actually moving a little bit closer inshore now. But you can only catch them on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, on the Thursday of 4th of July, they're going to make an exception, and it'll be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that week. Uh, the daily limit is two fish per person, 16-inch minimum size. And it remains open until they reach that allocation. Now, looking at that number, we're at 23% on June 2nd at 183,000, and we've got 816,000. I'm going to say, and again, this is very variable because it depends on a lot of weather conditions. If we get a lot of tropical storms and um, adverse weather that prevents people from getting out, we will. it will take us longer to reach that quota. And this season might go all the way into Thanksgiving. Uh, then again, if people get out and we have some really good weather days on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and a lot of people go out and catch them, uh, we could end it, you know, by you know as early as uh, early October maybe. So it just depends. But I'm thinking for sure into October, maybe November, and uh, they keep this up to date and they let us know and give us advance notice when those seasons close. All right. Uh, here's one that says, Don, the best camps were built with temporary buildings. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of truth to that, and that's in reference to, to our camp. My dad had, uh, everything was temporary. <laughs> he put up there, I mean everything. Nothing was ever permanently done. He never finished the job on it. But I tell you what, we enjoyed it, and it was as good as any camp, and you're right. Yeah, some of the best camps are done with just temporary buildings and not real finished products. All right, uh, I got another text in. This is from a hunting buddy of mine, Rick, and I'm glad he texted me this one. This is a good story. He says that uh, one of his prized Dad's Day gifts was a classic green Stanley thermos that his son gave him when he was 12. Well, that was thoughtful for a 12-year-old. I'll tell you what, those green Stanley thermos, they, they last forever. I got one somewhere around that's full of dents and everything. <laughs> but if you remember the old thermoses, now, in my uh, first life, when I used to work as an assistant manager of a sporting goods, Sears Roebuck, uh, we sold everything, and we sold thermoses. 
How many of you remember a thermos that had a glass liner in it? It was a plastic thermos, and you unscrewed it, and there was like a liner, and it was glass. I mean glass. Uh, it wasn't like a glass, a see-through glass. It was it was like a foil color, but it was actually glass. It was insulated glass, and it kept things pretty hot, and then the outside was plastic. But if you dropped that thing, it would smash that glass liner, and you'd open up the top of it, and you'd have a whole thing full of coffee or soup mixed with glass. And it was the most insane arrangement I think ever could be devised in something that contained drinks or food. But that's what they were. But these Stanleys, now, when they came out, you know, they're stain, they were stainless steel, and most of them were green, and they had a little stainless steel bottom. They had a, you, the, the top was the cup, and you unscrewed the cap and poured it in there, and, boy, they kept drinks warm for a long, long time. He said this year he got his boys together, three of them, and they're giving him green Stanley thermos, full circle. <laughs> Great for hot coffee on those cold mornings on the pond or in the deer stand. That was 28 years ago. Oh, my God, he says. Yeah, that's an excellent gift, a good, solid thermos to take out there. I really enjoy my little, you know, that's one of the, the best moments of a duck hunt to me. When you get out there. And uh, you, you you launch the boat, you got the dog, you got all the decoys and everything. You get out there and you uh, got the light and you're in the dark and you're putting the decoys out and you get the dog settled and then you get in the blind and you got just a few minutes. It's still dark and you can see twilight coming, uh, starting to break on the eastern horizon where the sun's getting ready to come up and you pour that cup of coffee before legal shooting time. That, to me, is one of the finest times in life. You're watching the marsh come alive. you got your decoys set. You're looking forward to a big morning's hunt, and you're just enjoying that hot cup of coffee on a cold winter morning. Boy, that doesn't get much better than that, does it? All right, speaking of duck hunting, Flyway Federation USA. A lot of you reacted to this. You know, we we get uh, statistics on listenership on this program and most of it on this program is done live stream in fact almost all of it and we set and broke records on the first program that we did with josh goins of the flyway federation and if you're not familiar with who josh goins is in the flyway federation uh josh is just an ordinary citizen uh duck hunting enthusiast been part of his heritage grew up doing it and he began doing some research, um, you know, and I, and I got to say that the Internet gets a lot of credit for this. The Internet has made the world a lot smaller. Uh, now with video available and uh, MapQuest and, and instantaneous uh, video being sent, uh, there's a lot of communication between fishermen and hunters, immediate communication and long-distance communication. And what has been discovered is that some practices of uh, growing corn and flooding fields in the northern part of the flyways is, some people believe, negatively impacting southern migration of ducks. Uh, I think that it is responsible. To what degree, I'm not certain, because there's a lot of variables as far as uh, rainfall, uh, river levels, 
uh, cold temperatures, those are factors that do affect somewhat the migration. Birds also move on the length of the day. I mean, teal don't move down here in September because it's cold, that's for sure. Uh, cool fronts help, though. Uh, availability of food is a big motivation for migration. And I can tell you that the Canada goose migration was uh, compromised. It was artificially uh, prevented from geese coming down here, and it was intentional. And there's similar things going on now, and it's being done within the law based on the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. And it allows people to grow corn and flood it and not harvest it. Uh, that is not a normal agricultural practice, and there's not a lot of difference between putting corn in water or putting water on corn. And some states and areas are reaping the benefits of that. They're holding ducks. Uh, ducks will not, I don't believe they will come as far as they have to. Uh, if and, and, and part of the program, and they will tell you, uh, some of this, this, this uh, agricultural practice has gone on on refuges. And the reason they did it, they said the shorter migration distance a duck has to make, the healthier it is when it returns, which is true. But if that is being passed on genetically, what are we doing to the, the, the long-standing tradition of Canada and the Dakotas as being the nesting grounds and the birds wintering as far south as Louisiana? And the Flyway Federation is asking a lot of questions uh, they brought this up. Duck hunters are bringing it up to the two big organizations in waterfowl conservation, Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl. And we had representatives from all three organizations on the air and asking them, uh, Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl are basically taking the position that the past bad seasons that have been experienced in Louisiana is due to a lot of water spread across the, the area and a lack of cold weather. Um you know, we've had other years, and this past year we had a lot of scop or dogrees, as we call them. That's a pretty hardy duck, and normally it takes a lot of hard, cold weather and absence of food to get them to come this far. We had a lot of them came down. Why were they not shortstop? Because they're not pond and corn feeders like some other birds. Anyway, there's a lot of research and a lot of data that needs to be acquired. The Flyway Federation is bringing up the questions and trying to get some answers, and a lot of people are, are, are joining in and want to find out more about it and get active in this, this movement to determine whether our migrations are being artificially impacted. So we've got a series of uh, town halls that are going to take place all over the state conducted by the Flyway Federation, and we're going to continue to have Ronnie Doucette, who works very hard with Josh Goins, and, and get them on. And I'll be telling you about the locations and times, and if you can make those, I think you'll find them very interesting. I have seen videos that have been sent to me and gotten reports of some of the stuff going on, and it's very questionable about what impact it does have. All right, we're getting ready to join a CBS Sports update, and then we'll come back with the final hour of our four-hour block of programming. Still got a lot of information to cover, and you can call us at 504-260-6368. We're taking texts all about dad and fathers and fishing and hunting on Father's Day weekend at 870-870. We'll be right back after the CBS Sports update. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 